Shalom. Welcome to the Gospel According to Moses and the book of Genesis. We're in Lesson 62. This is Reverend John Ferret. We're going to continue to focus on our study of the saga of Jacob and Esau. We're focusing on Genesis 25, verses 29 through 34. I, you know, one thing before we start I have to say is that way back when, when I started to get involved in learning the Bible in its historical context, um, it has just been such a tremendous blessing to me. It has so enhanced my understanding of God's Word. It's made it so powerful, so just unbelievably overwhelming. So good to get away from so many mistaken views of the text where people don't understand that we have to put it back into its historical context, into the ancient culture, to figure out in many cases what God is saying to them then. He, he wrote it to them. He wanted them to understand his word then as we are to understand it now. It's not just for us. And how he talks about real people and, and like this, we're dealing with a real family, Jacob and Esau, Rebecca, the mom, and Isaac, the dad. A real family with real issues and real problems. And the message, over and over again, God is saying he's used, or, he uses ordinary people in his predetermined redemption plan. Jacob's not a superstar. He's no superhero. He's just a real guy with real issues. He saw his brother too, and his mom and dad. So we take a look at Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau. We take a look at the story. Just another great example of real people and how God uses real people. Now as we get into this lesson, I have to introduce you to a great scholar by the name of Ken Bailey. He's an expert in the ancient Middle Eastern culture and archaeology. And he's written a number of books. One called Jesus, or looking, Jesus Through Mediterranean Eyes, Paul Through Mediterranean Eyes, and a book that's related to this study. It's called Jacob and the Prodigal. Jacob and the Prodigal. Jacob and the prodigal. Remember Jacob and Esau were talking about the prodigal. Bailey compares Jesus' parable to the story of Jacob and Esau. He unpacks the parable and shows some awesome connections that we don't see. Because one had to live in Jesus' day then. How how I wish that on, on Sunday churches or in Messianic congregations, I wish the leaders had training in this, connecting the Bible to its historical context and the social context of those ancient days. We have missed so much. And Bailey will reconnect us to that. We're going to look into some of the aspects of this book. And what is the role and responsibility of the firstborn? 
And we're going to see that Jacob, not Esau, meets the demands of being the firstborn. And we're going to see it right directly in the words of God. Esau, what's his focus? It's, it's, on, his, it's on his personal interests. It's on hunting, the outdoors, his weapons. Probably practices his bow and arrow a lot. He doesn't seem to have an interest in the business of the family. So come, join with us, and let's study this real family with real issues. Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. And let's go study it. This event, the story about a man who had two sons. Ready? Let's go. So let's go. We're going to try to say, may he, Lord, come to, upon us and through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we can see, chisel out our ears that we can hear, and help our hearts completely understand your word. So what I want to do today is I don't want to start in the Torah. Okay, I want to start in the New Testament. So I'm going to go to Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read one sentence, and then I'll expound that, that one sentence. In Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, Jesus is teaching a parable. You all know it. And the parable starts this way, or the text starts this way. And he said, meaning Jesus, and he said, a man had two sons. Stop. Now you know the rest of the story. Now what's fascinating to me is based upon the fact that this class has not had some time off. Those of you listening on audio probably don't realize that we had two weeks off. But with the two weeks off, a number of things happened to me. And a sequence of events happened where I bumped into a scholar. And I can't remember how this all happened. That's not important, but God did it. And his name is Dr. Ken Bailey. Dr. Ken Bailey is a, a scholar, a Jewish, a, a Christian scholar. He has taught worldwide. He is considered a, an expert on the ancient Near East and also the Jewish background of Jesus. Lois Tverberg, those of you that know Lois and her three books that she's written, Ray Vanderland uh, and others always constantly reference Ken Bailey. So I bumped into Ken Bailey and through a series of events, because you know where we are. We're dealing with Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. And you guys already know that there's probably some commentary I'm going to do on selling of the birthright and also the encounter with Jacob and Esau with their dad. Okay? Well, Ken Bailey, uh, I happened to bump into this and he wrote a book of many books. Matter of fact, his famous book, okay, that I would highly recommend, I, I, I would very highly recommend, and uh, Ken Bailey's book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. 
So he really goes into the culture of the ancient Middle East to understand Jesus and what he's saying and so on and how he's acting because Jesus was a Jewish sage, a Jewish rabbi. Uh, and we need to do that. But, he, but Ken Bailey wrote another book, and, this is, and it's called Jacob. And now that really caught my eye, and the prodigal. And I said, what? So in Ken Bailey's own words, he is now passed on. He's with the Lord right now. But listen to this. Here's a paragraph from the preface. I actually brought the book with me. Here it is. Okay. All you need is a fire tablet and Kindle. I, I had to have it now because I knew I was going to teach you guys. So I bought it now. I didn't want to wait. I wanted the book now and I wanted to start reading it. So in the preface, he says this. Jesus appears in the Gospels as a theologian. Now that is powerful. He has a whole chapter on proving that Jesus was a theologian and not some simple-minded carpenter in, in the Galilee. He was a theologian who begins with a mastery, a mastery of the tradition, and then reshapes it by offering a new vision centered on his own person. So you've heard me say, Jesus teaches parables just like the other rabbis. However, I love Ken Bailey helping me with the words, yeah, he does the traditional way of teaching as rabbis do, but he reshapes it and offers a new vision centered on his own person. I love that statement. This book, meaning Judah, uh, or uh, Jacob and the prodigal, uh, this book will attempt to trace the movement of Jesus' mind along one critical stage of that vision. It is my intention to examine carefully the way in which Jesus takes the great saga of Jacob and reflects it in a new story composed with himself at the center. I mean, what? Now, I've been reading, okay, I've been studying this. There are 51 correlations in the parable of the prodigal son and the story of Jacob. 51. I just gave you one of them. There was a father with two sons, Isaac. He was a father with two sons. Interesting. That, that's just one, and that's a very minor one. Jesus walks on stage not as a different Jacob, Listen to this. Jesus walks on the stage not as a different Jacob, but rather as a transformed figure of the father Isaac. Reaching this conclusion has required some patient digging. And he's got an entire book dedicated to that one. Here's a very interesting, I love this guy. He gives us a way, and I think I'm beginning to understand what I'm doing. Um... Yeah, I'm teaching Bible, but I'm teaching in a unique way. And I read this, and it really helped me understand what I'm about. So he's saying another way to do this, in other words, to actually take the prodigal son parable and compare it to the saga of, of, of um, uh, Jacob. The saga. I mean, from his birth all the way until his death. So he's going through, I mean, a lot here is to view the pair of the prodigal son as a story with three settings, okay? Like three zoom lens photographs of a single scene. Now watch this. This is really cool. So he said, imagine being shown a photograph of a happy child on a swing. The picture has its own integrity, and it's a joy to behold. Wonderful. 
But the photographer places a second picture beside the first. The second is the same scene, but has been taken with a wider lens. Now it is possible to see the mother pushing the child on the swing and observing that the swing is suspended from the branch of a cherry tree in full bloom. The smile on the child's face takes on new meaning, and a larger picture provides the viewer with additional delights. Finally, the photographer presents a third picture, which is still on the same scene. Only this time the shot is even wider, and it is evident that the cherry tree with the swing is growing in a zoo, that the child is looking at a baby elephant being cuddled by its mother. Once again, the yet larger scene adds new and important meaning to the other two. So as Dr. Bailey said, I am teaching in the third scene. And he said, it's important that you understand the basics. In other words, the first picture of just the child, you need that. Okay, we need the basics to understand that. That's like teaching the actual meaning of a verse without putting, don't worry about context, that type of stuff, just the simple meaning of the verse, okay? Then it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And you've heard me say this over and over again, that was we take a look and put it into context, they take a look at archaeology, customs, history, and etc., and even in ancient language, it expands our view. And I'm telling you, I'm going to steal his idea. I just love that, that, that uh, thing. And that's what we're about, and that's what he does. So it's an amazing work. So 2,000 years ago, if you're a Jewish person and you're sitting there leading G Jesus, and the first thing you hear, now remember, you haven't got a New Testament. All you've got is the Torah, and you know the Torah really well, okay? And all of a sudden, he says, there was a man who had two sons. It's probably very likely to say, wait a minute, I remember Isaac, who had two sons, okay? So Bailey is suggesting that the first hearers, okay, probably would be reminded of Isaac and his two boys, probably, okay? I mean, we don't have any records to say that they would do that. But again, with his studies, he's beginning to find that indeed there is so much there. There's another guy, Dr. Brad Young. He's another awesome scholar. Um, studied at Hebrew University as a graduate student, and he was the grad assistant of Dr. David Flusser. He's written many books. He is a renowned expert, one of my teachers. Uh, three books is Jewish, uh, Jesus, the Jewish theologian, Paul, the Jewish theologian, and the parables of Jesus. Another guy. And so I know this because in terms of getting his book, I taught the parables of Jesus, and Brad Young was one of my main resources. So therefore, one of the things that you learn from Dr. Brad Young is the prodigal son, is that parable is misnamed. Only for the simple reason, when you put it in context, when you put it into the culture, the story is about two boys, all right? Two, two sons. One's the younger son, one is the Bekor, one is the firstborn. They're both sinners. Now, I'm not going to go into it right now because I'm not teaching that tonight, okay? But the thing is, is that it's about both sons, they're both sinners, and the focus is on the dad. The focus is the father, okay? So we need to remove that name, and we need to rename it. So I'm now renaming the parable of the prodigal son, and we're now going to name is two brothers and their loving dad. Okay? And that's basically it. 
So Dr. Bailey and Dr. Young, you know, they're fo fo focusing on the culture then, not now. Dr. Bailey says we can need to make a, sh a short comparison. We've had, we basically have Isaac, Jake, uh, Esau, and Jacob, okay? If you take that to the prodigal son, Isaac is compared to the father in the prodigal son. Esau, okay, is compared to the older son, but Esau acts like the younger son. Jacob, okay, is the younger son, like in the prodigal son, but he acts like the older son. There's a role reversal of the two. This is, I want to dance. I mean, I got to teach, I got to teach this book, you know, Bailey's book. It's, it's just fascinating. So Jesus is using a familiar story, but he's using it in a new way. And I'm not surprised uh, of these possible connections. I've seen this over and over and over again. So the prodigal as related to Jacob. And again, this is a good point. Ladies and gentlemen, we need all the commentaries. We need JPS. We need John Creed's commentary. All these great commentaries. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Dr. Bailey comes along and says, guess what? One parable related to Jacob. And, a complete, and that's not in any commentary you're going to find. Okay, but we have a credible, highly um, trust, trustworthy scholar who's proven himself over and over and over again. And all he's asking in his book is stay, read my thesis. See what you think, you know. So I am started to read it, and it's, just, oh, it's awesome stuff. Anyway, so what I wanted to do is, thank you, Dr. Bailey. Uh, we'll return to him a little bit. I'm not going to use Bailey's m material, but I just wanted to show it. Here we go again with an additional way of enhancing the picture. Now let's go into Torah, or Genesis 25, verse 27, from the Fox translation. And as we begin our study tonight, and it says this, the lads grew up, Esau became a man who knew the hunt, a man of the field, but Yaakov was a plain man uh, staying among the tents. What happens here, you guys, is this. Torah, and this, this goes across commentaries. Across commentaries, and I'm talking about Jewish commentary, Christian commentary, the Torah seems to be hinting at the characters of these two boys. So, for instance, Esau is a man of the field. This implies it does not prove. Hang on to this now, all right? If he's a man of the field, the, is, there's an implication that he's not home. The problem is he's the Bekor. Okay, the Hebrew word is Bekor. Bekor is the firstborn. He is the firstborn. He gets the Bekorah. The Bekorah is the birthright, okay? This is a special status, and you know that he gets a double portion of the inheritance later on. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to explain a little bit what that's all about. So I'm going to go to another reference that people don't buy. Many of you probably have seen Ray Vanderland videos, okay? And I keep on telling you, if you don't have the book that goes along with the video, you are missing 90% of the teaching. So the example would be here, when we talk about the firstborn, so I'm going into Ray Vanderland's discovery guide for the actual DVD, uh, the DVD that's called Israel's Mission, okay? 
<laughs> By the way, the subtitle is Becoming a Kingdom of Priests in a Prodigal World. I find that... So he deals with the prodigal son in here too. But anyway, he says this. As the firstborn son... Well, let me go... Yeah, as the firstborn son matured, he was trained to always seek the best interest of the Beit Av. The best interest of the Beit Av. The Beit Av in the ancient Near East. This is not just Israel, okay? This is the Canaanites. This is the Hittites. This is the Assyrians, okay? This is the ancient Middle East. The Beit Av is the house of the father, okay? So, the firstborn, the Bekor, as he's growing and as he's maturing, he must stand with his dad to look after the interest of the family, the Beit Av. He supports his dad 100%. So, because one day he is going to become the head of the Beit Av. When the father died, now listen to this. Here's the things that you need to understand, that there's something bigger going on. When the father died, the, done, the son would receive the majority of the family's estate. Why? So that he can support and care for the family. That's his job. He doesn't become rich. He's got a main job. The dad's done. The dad has died. Now it's his job as the Bekor, because he got the Bekorah, to actually take care of the family. And he's got to stand with his father. So the Bekor, the firstborn, must protect and preserve the family after the father dies. Now let's go to the parable of the prodigal son. I'll keep on using that. Otherwise, if I say, let's go to the parable of the uh, two brothers and their loving dad, you probably think, what? Okay. So the prodigal son, in the prodigal son, and here is a statement of the oldest son. He's the Bekor in this story. But he the Bekor, the oldest son, the firstborn, answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours, uh, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. The point being is, you know what he's saying? I'm fulfilling my role as the Bekor. I obeyed all your commands. I'm serving you. I'm working with you. That, that's the point. And so we have the statement that verifies that. He's learning the family business but not Esau. The implication that we get, he's a man of the field. He's not around, okay? So he's seemingly not home. And I want to use that, I have to be careful. Seemingly not home, okay? The Torah seems to suggest, okay, that indeed he is not around, not doing that. Matter of fact, the Torah does it again. Let me do this, okay? I'm focusing on the character of the boys now. So I'm going to uh, Genesis 27.1. In Genesis 27.1, this is very fascinating, God inspiring Moses to write this. Moses is writing an editorial comment. And see, you got this, this is so cool to actually understand when is Moses putting his own two cents in here and when is it the, fact, the facts of the story, okay? So this is Moses putting his own two cents in there, inspired by God. Genesis 27, 1. And when Yitzhak was old and his eyes had become too dim for seeing, he called Esav, his older son, Esau, and said to him, now look what he said. He called Esau, Esau okay, Esau, his elder son. The Torah said he's not the firstborn. The Torah went out of its way to use the words in 27.1, Beno Hagadol, 
not Bekoro. Bekoro means his firstborn, okay? But it used Beno, Hagadol, his oldest son. Why did the Torah do that? The Torah is taking that, you might say, that status away from it. It suggests that the Torah is showing you what they think of Esau. Okay, this is number two. It gets deeper. Wait a minute, we got to go back to this. What does the Torah say about our guy Jacob? Okay, now in 2527, we just read it. Okay, but I want to read it again from the Fox translation. And remember, Fox, bless this guy, uh, as a Jewish scholar, uh, he's trying to do the best he can with the Hebrew, okay? Uh, and it drives me crazy sometimes because uh, he needs a good commentary along with this as well, so I'm glad we're using this. But he's, he's trying to give us the Hebrew as best as he can. But again, here we are in uh, uh, back to 2527 in Genesis. The lads grew up. Esau became a man who knew the hunt, a man of the field. But Yaakov was a plain man staying among the tents. And I just love this. I have heard this, I have heard this in a sermon twice in my life over all these years. Yeah, see, uh, that Jacob, he was a mama's boy. What? I mean, that's what, you're reading words into the Torah? It doesn't say that. He was a man of the tents. Now, when we look at that, the actual word there is Tom. Tom is the word that Fox says means a plain man. Well, in actuality, when you go to the Gesenius um, Hebrew lexicon, not Strong's Concordance, okay, whatever you do, you never use Strong's Concordance to try to find the meaning of a word, meaning of a Hebrew word or Greek. So the concordance, the uh, Strong's number there is H8535. Okay? And in the Hebrew, uh, the Gesenius Hebrew lexicon, it ba basically means a whole man, a man of integrity or an upright man. Whoa, that's more than a plain man and more than a peaceful man because peaceful was not even used. But the second thing is dwelling in tents. The actual Torah helps us, especially in Genesis 4, that he who dwells in tents is a herdsman. Okay, taking care of the herds and the flocks. You're staying in the tents. This is what you're doing. Now, Whose flocks, whose herds was he taking care of? Let's go to Genesis 26, 13 through 14. In Genesis 26, 13 through 14, we're going to read this in just a second. We did this, I believe, in the previous class where I really was showing uh, the amazing characteristics of Isaac and remember, God came to Isaac and said, Isaac, don't leave here. There was a famine. He was a dad. He had two small boys, probably, if that's what's going on. And there's a famine. People are dying because there's no, nothing to eat. And what does God say? Stay here. And Isaac doesn't say a word. He stays. And, then what I, and God says, don't worry, I'll bless you. So that's in this chapter, 26. So let's see, did God bless him? Whoa. Genesis 26, verse 12. Yitzhak sowed in that land and reaped in that year a hundred measures, or a hundredfold. Thus did Yahweh bless him. The man became great and went on, went on becoming greater until he was exceedingly great. He had herds of sheep and herds of oxen and a large retinue of servants, and the Philistines envied him. 
whoa, he became blessed like you wouldn't believe in the midst of a famine. So what's Jacob doing? He's taking care of the herds and the flocks of the father of the Beit Av. Jacob is doing what the Bakor is supposed to be doing. Jacob is doing what the firstborn should be doing. So there we have the interesting role, role reversal. This is fascinating because when you study the parable of the prodigal son, you have two boys. You've got the oldest, the Bekor, and you've got the youngest. The youngest, you say, oh, he's the sinner. So is the oldest. And again, I'm not teaching that right now. Um, you have to take my class on the parables to get through that. Or actually get Brad Young's book. Okay, because I never teach my own opinion. I'm always teaching what the scholars are teaching. Brad Young's book on the parables, that's where you'd get it. Okay, and he would explain it uh, in detail. So, and it's a very interesting because Ken Bailey, he has the, there's the role reversal because in the prodigal son, you have the oldest son who's doing his job. Okay, and you've got the youngest son who actually says, I want my inheritance now and goes and wastes it all. But it's a complete role reversal because we have the youngest son, Jacob, is now acting like the Bekor, and we know Esau is not a good guy. Okay? He's a kind of evil. He brings a lot of pain on his family. So the comparison is not exact, but again, we can see that's a very interesting role reversal. But I just wonder if, I just wonder if the first hearers, when Jesus is teaching the prodigal son, were amused when they heard Jesus saying, there was a father who had two sons. And they started, and he started teaching the prodigal son, and all of they're seeing, they're saying, they're saying Jacob and Esau. And he's using that in a completely different way. I, want, I don't know. Okay, so Torah seems to show the characters of Esau and Jacob. And here's the thing, you guys. Rebecca and Isaac must be aware of this. They have to be. We've already read where Isaac loves Esau. Now, that's not a physical, that's not a, he's blind. He's blinded by his son. Not physical blindness, okay? He's enamored with his son. He's taken with his son. Why? Because he's a macho man. He's an adventurer. He's got all these adventure stories. And besides that, when he comes back from the hunt, the Torah says he makes delicious meals. And that's, so, I mean, that's it. Isaac is not a good dad. Because one of the things that I learned and my wife learned in family counseling, in Christian family counseling, is the one thing you never do. If for some reason you prefer one child over another, you never, you never show it outwardly, ever. You do that, you will cause pain. Isaac did. So did Rebecca. This is not a good family situation. This is a family situation that's really, you might say, with a lot of conflict and a lot of pain. There's disharmony in the Beit Av. And the father is to blame now. Isaac is no hero. He's just a man. Okay? Isaac is not fulfilling his leadership role. Now let me just show you again. I'm going to go to the prodigal son because Bailey has really got me onto this now as I'm comparing as what we're reading here about the story of Jacob and then comparing it to the prodigal son. But I'm going back to Luke 15 in the New American Standard 
And let's look about the father here, okay? So he got up, and the younger son got up, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He loved that boy. But a little bit later on, in the same chapter, in verse 31, the father is saying to his oldest son, Son, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. Say, I love you. This father loves both of his boys. And he's showing it to both of them. So here's Rebecca. She's informed by God that the younger boy will rule over the older. We know that. We don't know if she ever told Isaac. Now I love this when people will come to me, well, their husband and wife, don't you think they talk in bed at night? Okay. Well, yeah, they do. Did Rebecca tell Isaac? We don't know. You can't say yes, you can't say no. The Torah is silent. But we do know this. She knew Esau and she knew what was going on in her family. This family was being ripped apart and Esau could not be the leader of the Beitav. Could not. It is very interesting to consider a person living in Jesus' day, one of those who first heard Jesus' parable that we call the prodigal son. Now, this parable can be found starting in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. Now, if you're a person living in Jesus' day, the only Bible that they had was the Hebrew Scriptures. There was no New Testament. Does it remind a person who's sitting there hearing Jesus' parable for the first time, did it remind them of another man with two sons, Isaac, who had two sons, Jacob and Esau? Both the parable... Jesus' parable and the saga of Jacob and Esau, they had everything to do with the firstborn. In Hebrew, Bekor. It also has everything to do with the Beta of the house of the Father. And we need to understand the relationship and responsibilities of the Bekor, the firstborn son, to the Beta of and the rest of the family. It's going to become clear that Jacob acted more like the firstborn. It's, it's becoming clear, not Esau. Now in Lesson 63, it's going to even become clearer. We're going to return to when Esau seemingly comes back from a hunting trip. He's tired and he's hungry, and Jacob is cooking up a tasty red soup, red stew, and in those verses, you won't believe what comes out of this. God inspired Moses to do something special in these events, a special literary tool. We miss it. We miss it again and again and again. This literary tool is called a chiasm. And knowing this, We'll see how this works. Knowing this and how the red soup event is a chiasm shows 
shows us clearly Esau's character. Esau could give two hoots about the Beit Av. He could give two hoots about his dad, his mom, his brother, his family. It's so powerful. So, I'll see you then in Lesson 63. Shalom. Thank <laughs> you.